welcome back to Unknown Friends today. This is my weekly book review podcast featuring literary fiction, both classic and contemporary. And you've tuned into episode 17 of season two. I've always liked the number 17 because it's prime and because it has one more syllable than all the other teens. So it just, you know, sounds fancier. Sorry, that was absolutely irrelevant. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wearing Productions, and I am so glad you've joined me today for this week's book review. So our title under inspection this week is The Girls of Slender Means by Muriel Spark. And I was not sure, well, I'm still not quite sure how this would go, but now that it's time, I really am excited to talk about it, despite my previous apprehension. Before we dive in, let me just remind you, it would be awesome if you could subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and I would be so grateful if you would also share it with your friends. Um, You can actually share the link to the podcast online or just tell people about it personally, uh, people you think would be interested in these book reviews. Um, And also, if you're interested in this, you can access more content, including monthly bonus episodes, by becoming a member of the Unknown Friends community on Patreon. Uh, That link with more information is in the episode description. All right, moving on. Muriel Spark, the author of The Girls of Slender Means. She was born in 1918 in Edinburgh, Scotland to a Jewish father and a mother who had at least been raised Anglican. Um, As a young woman, she taught English briefly and worked as a secretary for a little while. And then when she was 19, she got engaged to a man who was 13 years older than her, Sidney Oswald Spark, whom she had met at a dance in Edinburgh. He went off to Zimbabwe, where he worked as a teacher, and she followed him, and they got married there. They had one son, Robin, but Muriel soon learned that her husband was bipolar and could be violent at times, and she very quickly had enough of that. Um, Her husband would not agree to a divorce, so Muriel just took their son and left, She went to South Africa first, and then a few years later, in early 1944, she returned to England but had to leave her son Robin in a convent school uh, because of travel not being allowed for children during wartime. So she took lodgings in London temporarily, and she actually worked in British intelligence, well, in, in propaganda specifically, during the remainder of the war. Then, in late 1945, her husband Sidney and son Robin made their way back to England, and Robin ended up being taken to Muriel's parents in Scotland, who raised him. Um, And interestingly, Robin grew up to become a painter and an Orthodox Jew under the influence of his grandparents. Now, sadly, Muriel was never again around her son very much after that. She would send him gifts sometimes, but she never was a big part of his life. Uh, She didn't even attend his bar mitzvah, his Jewish coming-of-age ceremony. And, well, he, in turn, decades later, did not attend her funeral. 
So she, her husband, and her son lived the rest of their lives all three separated from each other and, and never reconciled. But um, as far as her career goes, um, so it was after World War II ended that Muriel began writing seriously. She started with literary criticism and poetry, um, and she actually served as the editor of the Poetry Review for a year. She wrote biographies of Mary Shelley, whom we discussed last week in our Frankenstein episode, um, and of Emily Bronte, uh, and, and tributes to various other writers. And then in the 1950s, two very significant things happened in Muriel's life, and they were related. In 1954, she converted to Catholicism, and then she started writing novels. And she attributed the ability to write novels in part to her Catholicism, because she saw her new faith as something that enabled her to make sense of the world around her, uh, to see the big picture of life, which she hadn't been able to see before her conversion. So I have only read The Girls of Slender Means, but she wrote quite a few novels, um, upwards of 20, I think. And my understanding is that her Catholic faith informed them all, some more explicitly, some less so. Uh, to put her in context, she was a contemporary of other uh, British Catholic novelists like Evelyn Waugh, who wrote Brideshead Revisited, and also Graham Greene, author of um, The End of the Affair, The Power and the Glory, and, and a lot of other novels. Muriel Spark also reminds me a little bit of Flannery O'Connor, um, at least as far as the Catholicism in her stories, and also a little bit with her style. Um, but their styles in, in many ways are very, very different. Um, and of course, Muriel Spark was British and Flannery O'Connor was very American. Anyway, ultimately, Muriel Spark wrote many novels throughout her lifetime from the late 1950s up uh, almost all the way to her death in 2006. She stayed in London for many years, then lived in New York City for a time, and finally moved to Italy, where she lived and worked for a few decades, until she died at the age of 88. Now, like I said, this is the only of Muriel Sparks' novels I have ever read. I did, I will say this, I did read it twice over the last few weeks, um, this author is so unfamiliar to me, and her style was somewhat confusing to me. So after one read-through, I was trying to get a grasp in my mind on what I'd just read, and I just felt so murky about it. I hadn't really liked the book, and I didn't really get the point of it. I, I just felt a little lost. So I actually took a little break read another book, and then came back and reread The Girls of Slender Means. And that helped so much. I am still very far from an expert on Muriel Sparks' writing style or way of thinking, but I am so much clearer on what this novel is about than I was after just one read. So, first off, I will introduce you to the plot and main characters. 
Oh, and I forgot to mention, The Girls of Slender Means was Spark's seventh novel, or novella, more properly. It's pretty short. But still, it was published fairly early in her writing career, in 1963, when she was 45 years old and still living in London. And the book itself is set in London, um, but most of its action takes place nearly 20 years earlier, in the summer of 1945, after the end of World War II in Europe. Now, technically, the novel's contents take place in two different times. So the main storyline is in 1945, but that story is framed by events taking place in 1963. I'll explain that more in a minute, but it is one of the aspects of the novel that confused me the first time through. So the main plot concerns a group of young women living in what is essentially a women's hostel called the May of Tech Club in London immediately following VE Day. These are the girls of slender means from the title, women who are young but are living independently away from their families and trying to make their way in this difficult world at the end of the war when rationing was still very strict, as it remained for the British people for several years after the war. So these girls, you know, trade ration coupons with each other, and one of them has this beautiful evening dress that they share. All the girls who fit it take turns, uh, you know, wearing it out on dates. So um, everyone is on a tight budget, but most of these girls are young enough that they don't let it bother them too much or get them down. For the most part, they are living for the moment. Their biggest concern is boyfriends and future husbands. And so honestly, they're, they're in this kind of weird place where their country has been worn to shreds. The building they live in has literally survived multiple bombings, and they and everyone else in the UK are still reeling emotionally and spiritually, whether they realize it or not, from the war, and still just trying to cope with the current shortages of everything they used to have. And yet, because these girls are young, and in part I think it's one of their ways of coping, they seem to take it all in their stride. Most of them seem pretty nonchalant about life. They joke and gossip and they do some pretty crazy things. But I do think, and I saw this so much more the second time I read the book, these girls are complicated. Some of them have been scarred by the war and choose in response to kind of live on the surface of life, to never take anything too seriously again as a way perhaps of trying to protect themselves. Some of them, despite appearing to be nonchalant and, and even successful, are deeply flawed with even a, a shocking capacity to wound others terribly. And then some of them have been perhaps shaken by the war, but perhaps strengthened by it as well. Uh, strengthened by suffering, even though you might not know it to look at them. So there's definitely an interesting mix among the young women of the May of Tech Club. And most of the girls are not what they at first seem to be. 
So then the novel depicts their lives during the summer of 1945. We get to know a few of them in particular better than the rest. Our main character, I think you'd say, is a girl named Jane Wright, who works for a kind of sketchy publishing firm. And she's always talking about the brain work that she has to do and complaining when her housemates make too much noise while she's trying to work and also justifying her eating habits by claiming that she has to feed her brain. Um, And on that topic, one of the odd things about this book is that the physical size of each of the girls in the story is rather important. The girls of slender means has a double meaning. Well, maybe even a triple meaning. Um, But it certainly refers not only to their financial state, but it also refers to these girls' literal size. Um, I can't tell you too much about why that's important or I would spoil things. But at any rate, Jane is our focus character, but two other girls especially play significant roles in the story. Joanna, who loves poetry and gives elocution lessons, and whose father is an Anglican rector. She, um, like Jane, is not one of the slender girls, Um, but one of the young women who is remarkably slender is named Selina, and she's our third central girl character. She is a beauty. She basically gets whatever boyfriends she wants, and she is characterized by this aura of self-assurance she exudes. Poise. She actually took a class on poise and has this little mantra that she learned and repeats to herself every day. It goes, poise is perfect balance, an equanimity of body and mind, complete composure whatever the social scene. Elegant dress, immaculate grooming, and perfect deportment all contribute to the attainment of self-confidence. So that is what Selena lives by, and tragically, that's pretty much all that Selena lives by, as you will learn if you read the book. So Jane, Joanna, and Selena. We meet some of the other girls too, but in many ways the story um, centers on these three. However, there is a fourth central character, a young anarchist poet named Nicholas Farringdon. Jane first meets him because she's trying to get a book he's written published, and she then introduces him to the May of Tech Club where she lives, and he gets to know some of the other girls. And um, I'll keep this very vague to avoid spoilers, but by the end of the summer of 1945, Nicholas's trajectory in life drastically changes as a result of what he experiences there. So that is a quick introduction to the main storyline of The Girls of Slender Means. But I told you that there's a kind of frame story as well. So while the 1945 story takes up most of the content of the book, every once in a while, Muriel Spark jumps forward to 1963 And there she portrays Jane Wright, 
nearly 20 years after the main events of the book, and Jane is calling up various of her acquaintances from the old days because she's writing a news story about the death of Nicholas Farrington, the young poet they had all become friends with. Now, in 1963, Jane has heard that he had become a Jesuit priest and was recently martyred in Haiti. How's that for a plot twist? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's not a spoiler, because we actually learn this fact quite early on. Uh, now, what would be a spoiler is if I told you why and how he was transformed from an anarchist poet into a Jesuit missionary. That is what the novel is all about, and so that's what I'm not going to spoil. That is about all I can say about the plot of The Girls of Slender Means, so I will conclude with a few thoughts about its style and themes. Like I mentioned, on the first read, I didn't really care much for this book. It was kind of confusing, especially I think since I was listening to it as an audiobook instead of reading it visually, I had a hard time keeping up with the jumping back and forth between 1963 and 1945, um, but that was so much clearer the second time through. Um, it's also such a short book I think the audio version was only maybe three hours long, and in print, I think it's a little over a hundred pages. So it's very compact. And again, I didn't realize this until I reread it, but Muriel Spark has constructed a very tight, neat story here. Um, but you just have to read it once, I think, before you truly understand what it's about. It's about Nicholas's conversion, but until you see for yourself what specific event causes that conversion, the rest of the book leading up to this moment seems a little wandering, a little random. At least for me, it, it was not until I knew where we were headed that I saw on the second read just how carefully and efficiently Muriel Spark was actually leading up to that moment. So I would tell you what the moment is to help you know what to watch for, but that would really ruin its effect. Um, I think you have to just experience it. But trust me, Muriel Spark knows what she is doing and has written every aspect of this novel very intentionally. Now, I guess one thing that I can tell you to pay special attention to is the poem that Joanna, the elocution instructor, is frequently quoting, The Wreck of the Deutschland by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Now, this poem holds a little bit of special meaning to me because I actually quoted it in my recent stage play, As Ever Sam. Um, the first line of the play, in fact, is my character Alice quoting from the poem. But Muriel Spark interweaves the Wreck of the Deutschland through the Girls of Slender Means in fascinating ways, and I think the poem can help immensely in understanding the novel. Hopkins's poem is about five nuns who are exiled from their homeland of Germany and die in a shipwreck off the coast of England. And ultimately, it focuses on one of the nuns in particular whose faith remains strong and who calls out to God even at the end 
and the poem kind of um, compares her to Christ dying. Anyway, it's a Catholic poem, a, a beautiful, beautiful piece of poetry, and there is so much going on in conversation between this poem and Muriel Sparks' novel. I can't really say more or I will spoil stuff, but please, if you if you end up reading The Girls of Slender Means and want to get a deeper understanding of it, um, you've really got to read The Wreck of the Deutschland and reflect on the two works side by side. But, of course, the final question I need to answer. Am I actually recommending this book? I guess I've only really said positive things about it so far, and the more I contemplate the novel, the more good I do see in it, both good in kind of an ultimate Christian sense, and also good in the sense of it being very well written. So with reservations, I would recommend it. But I will say I'm pretty sure I have some friends, at least, who would not be satisfied with it. Um, maybe wouldn't like it much at all. Throughout the book, I don't know that I would say there's anyone you can look up to very much. Well, actually, I take that back. Joanna, I think, is the most admirable character. She's not perfect, and we don't get to see too much of her, but I found her to be very sympathetic and someone I could root for. Um, Jane, you can kind of root for, but at the same time, she is flawed. And Muriel Spark is funny. She's She's got this odd sense of humor, kind of a dark sense of humor, very ironic. Um, anyway, she pokes fun at Jane, even while asking us to feel some sympathy for her. Um, Nicholas, I feel respect for in the end, but basically the whole time he's a part of the story, he is clearly flawed. So I don't know. It's not a book that I feel I can learn much from as far as, like, how to live my life. Um, honestly, I would... This brings me back to, to what I mentioned earlier. I would put Muriel Spark, at least in The Girls of Slender Means, in a similar category with Flannery O'Connor. Her central concern here seems to be conversion rather than, you know, um, how to live a Christian life or grow in our relationship with God, she is concerned with the moment in which a soul turns from itself toward God. Um, and also, like Flannery O'Connor, I think Muriel Spark enjoys shocking her readers. While they have plenty of differences, They, I think they share this almost twisted sense of humor. Um, they like portraying soul-changing events that are almost fantastical. And yeah, they, they want to disturb their readers a little bit and, and maybe scandalize them too. So just so that your expectations are right, I recommend The Girls of Slender Means if this sounds like the sort of Christian novel you would be interested in, but it very well might not be your cup of tea. Um, the other thing I must mention, along the lines of scandalizing readers, this is not a book written for kids, and just be aware that there are a lot of references to, um, to sexuality. Nothing is described, there's, there's nothing graphic, no explicit scenes, 
And even the references are often, uh, you know, euphemistic, but they are frequent. So please take that into account. Um, I wanted to give you fair warning before I conclude this review. So this may or may not be a novel you'll enjoy. If you can, try to imagine a cross between Flannery O'Connor and Evelyn Waugh, and I think that'll give you a close-ish approximation of what to expect with Muriel Spark. That is honestly a really weird combo, but it's the best I can think of. And just to reiterate my experience, I did not really enjoy or understand The Girls of Slender Means on my first read, but I am really glad I went ahead and read through it a second time because I both understood and enjoyed it a lot more on a reread. So that is all I have to share about this novella by Muriel Spark. I hope you've enjoyed today's review. To take a quick look ahead, next week I will be returning in episode 18 with a discussion of The Woman in White by the Victorian novelist Wilkie Collins, who was a contemporary of Charles Dickens. The Woman in White is often identified as one of the first ever mystery novels, or at least a work that introduced a kind of content which developed into the mystery novel genre. The book features a detective of sorts, not really like what we're used to seeing, but again, kind of a, a predecessor to the detective character that has now become standard in so many hundreds and hundreds of mystery novels. So, that is on the schedule for next week, and I hope you come back to hear my review of The Woman in White. As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you can learn more about me and my writing at my website, kittywamproductions.com. Thanks so much for listening. 